Take the guesswork out of your cannabis shopping with ECS DNA Kit by Endo Canna Health. I did this years ago and it continues to empower me to get nerdy with my cannabis choices, which you know I like. If you've watched our Cannabis Legalization News podcast, did you know that right now you can save 25% off your DNA test at endodna.com? That's E-N-D-O-D-N-A.com and use promo code POD25. That is P-O-D, the number two, the number five. Your purchase includes the EndoDNA Collection Kit. Endo Decoded Report, Personalized Cannabinoid and Terpene Suggestion, Endo Aligned Product Matching in Your State, Suggested Dosage Guidelines, and Optimum Methods of Administration. Once you know your personal ECS data, you can shop Endo supplements tailored specifically for you. And right now, Endo DNA is celebrating their new patent with a BOGO offer on their Afeca Soft Gels lineup. Since so many of you struggle with sleep, I want to highlight Afeca Unwind created to support healthy sleep cycles using a patented proprietary formula of hemp-derived CBD, terpenes, and essential oils. If sleep is eluding you, sweet dreams are made of this. So buy one, get one, my friend. You can shop online at endodna.com. And don't forget promo code POD25 at checkout to save 25% on your DNA test kit. Happy Sunday, everyone. It is 3 p.m. on a Sunday afternoon. Thanks for tuning in for Cannabis Legalization News. Today, we are joined by activist, horticulturalist, and author of the Marijuana Growers Handbook, Ed Rosenthal. So let's get right into the show. Happy Sunday, everyone. Hey, Ed, Miggy, and Tom. Happy Sunday. Hey. Hi. Thanks for coming on, Ed. You know, I uh, was just pouring over your book because uh, my plants, I think, have a magnesium deficiency. Oh, no. Very so, uh, very common, and I, I took your advice. I got myself some Epsom salts. Yeah. So I'm going to see how it goes. Oh, it'll yeah. happen fast. Cool. <laughs> What's fast, like 24, 48 hours? You'll see a difference, in, yeah, within 48 hours. Oh, wow. Uh, the plant, the uh, leaves that are affected, they may not uh, come back totally, but uh, new, new growth will... Uh, won't be effective. What's a sign of magnesium deficiency? Uh, you have yellowing in between the veins of the leaves. Oh. And the, the veins in the leaves stay green. Yeah. Oh, okay. I was, I kind of misdiagnosed it. I thought it was light burn. And because I was using some LEDs that I thought maybe were too close. And then it, what isn't going away? And I was reading your book and I'm like, it looks just like that. Uh, yeah. And yeah, it's pretty cool. Thanks, man. So you might have a calcium deficiency. If you see a little burn, it looks right. like little holes or a little burn that might be calcium. And those deficiencies are frequently found together. Cool. Uh, and how many, be, how many runs have you done? How many, t I mean, if you've been growing, when did you start growing? Oh. Well, I started growing um, in the sixties. And then your book's about in the 70s? Yeah. Yeah. For people who don't know you, I, I just want to say, man, this is exciting for us because you've been a stellar part of the conversation. You're not just the master grower of one of the few, like Jorge Cervantes and whatnot, but, I mean, just the conversation and being there out front, uh, early days of high times, uh, as we were talking earlier, uh, you know, when these kind of books were in uh, head shops, you know, not in bookstores, Um it's awesome. Why don't you go into that, Miggy? What type of book is that? And Ed uh, can can give his insight as, on them as well. Uh, Bill, Drake, Bill Drake was one of the early uh, uh, marijuana growing writers. Mm -hmm. and and so uh, when, when was Bill Drake publishing? This one has a date on it. Check this one out. So this one is the first edition. Uh, I found this in a... Um, uh, a bookstore for two bucks and it was published in 1970. Yeah. And wow. the cool thing about this one too, is he does all his own, uh, uh, like the, the drawings and sketchings of the, of the, the buds and everything. Yeah. And, and it's, it's guys like this, Bill Drake and Ed, that I think kept the conversation alive to what we have today. Cool. How did you learn it though? Like, uh, were there books, were there manuals back in the sixties? 
trial and error. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's fantastic. So where are seeds? Uh, yeah. And, um, you know, there, there were books on, there were some books on hemp, but uh, both my co-author and I of the first book, uh, Marijuana Grower's Guide, both of us uh, um, had, had uh, interest in plants. I'd had an interest in plants all my life. And um, so it wasn't, uh, we didn't feel that uh, it was going to be, uh, we, so we had a basic understanding of, of how plants work and what was going on. And uh, that gave us a head start. You're from New York originally. Uh, did you move to California uh, when cannabis came into your life, or was that just something? I always thought it was funny that High Times was based out of New York, and New York was one of the worst places for cannabis. Well, I moved out in '73 mm. out to California. That's when we uh, we had an Elliot Choi on, a, a cannabis lawyer for Vincente Cedarberg out of New York, uh, a few months ago, and he mentioned that in '73 uh, there was a whole bunch of kids in New York after the Grateful Dead played at Nassau uh, arrested. And that helped led to the uh, the decriminalization of cannabis in New York back in the 70s. Of course, it was repealed yeah. after that. But um, uh, Ed, where did you get your genetics from back when you started? You know, well, most of the uh, most of the marijuana that was around was either Colombian or Mexican, some Jamaican. You know, it was coming in from outside and all of those were seeded. So, uh, so I was dealing, everybody had uh, ready, uh, uh, had seeds at the ready, but it wasn't particularly the best plants for growing indoors. Yeah, because those were all uh, probably sativas that would mean like in the book Miggy was showing us, they were like 20 feet tall. Yeah, yes. They yeah. could, well, it all depends on your lighting, you know, uh, how, how quickly you uh, start flowering them. And I was looking forward to talking to you, and everybody's going to know that you're the guy who's been growing for a long time. The one thing I know about cannabis is, and I, you correct me correct if, I, if I'm wrong, but there is no one way to grow cannabis, right? Like each seed, sativa, strain, whatever, they're all different. Well, if you have 100 farmers, you have at least 300 growing methods. <laughs> so. Uh, but, you know, uh, there are five basic needs that cannabis has and any plant has, you know, light, right? Uh, water, nutrients, CO2, and uh, the appropriate temperature. So, uh, you, so uh, you'll be considered the best horticulturalist if you just meet and individual plants' requirements. Right on. Wow. They're just like us. So, so <laughs> for instance, um, you know, if you have houseplants, uh, if you're buying houseplants, if you know where you're going to place the plants, buy the appropriate plant for the amount of light that it gets and the humidity. And then yeah. it will thrive without much uh, help from you. No doubt. You have to water it and give it nutrients. But. Is there such thing as like a cannabis plant? I mean, I realize that flowering, you're supposed to have like, you know, 12, 12. But then uh, can cannabis plants have too much light? Well, uh, they have a DLI, which is a uh, uh, daily light index. Uh, and um, what happens is when they get uh, too much light after a while they shut down to, to uh, sort of digest all the sugars that were made uh, you know what happens is uh, when the plant gets light it uh, it takes uh, uh, water and breaks it up into its component parts hydrogen and oxygen and the oxygen gets released to the air. That's why they say plants give oxygen to the atmosphere. And it takes the hydrogen and combines it with the carbon dioxide and uh, a number of molecules of each, and it makes sugars. 
and from sugars, it uses those to make uh, tissue and uh, by adding uh, some uh, uh, phosphorus and potassium and that makes tissue and uh, uh, so they can grow. And uh, some of those sugars are used the same way we use them, which is for metabolism, so mm-hmm. you know, for the blood, for life, you know. Yeah. And, yeah. Uh, and it, does, it, it does that in the same, respires in the same way that we do, that where it actually uh, uh, bur- burns uh, those sugars uh, using oxygen and producing carbon dioxide. But for the most part, it produces more oxygen from the oxygen. Wow. All right. So um, can we go into the Wayback Machine then? What were the first strains that came about? Because like, if you go all the way back to these land races that were coming in in the 60s and they just had seeds, so that you guys would kind of started the whole tapestry then. And, and I mean, where in California were you? Uh, uh, still, I was in Oakland, you know. Uh, oh, but- yeah. But I think that um, uh, the first real uh, strains were uh, came from. Uh, they were they were, for the most part, developed by uh, uh, in North America, and then they they were mo- they um, were uh, moved over to uh, Holland, where it was legal to to uh, sell seeds. So the seed producers started propagating those seeds, and some of the first were uh, uh, Dave Watson's uh, Skunk Number One, and then there was Afghan One, uh, Durban Poison. So, but this would have been like seventies, mid seventies, late seventies by then. Seventy three, seventy, seventy four, seventy five. Ooh. You must have some smuggling stories too. I mean, like you've seen so much. You've seen the outlaw industry become suits and ties. Well, you know, um, I wasn't what you would call. I wasn't in the forefront of the smuggling industry. You know, I that that wasn't my bow uh, bow. Too much. I, I was more interested in cultivation and people who cultivate, and um, rather than swashbucklers. <laughs> but I mean, like you're intimate with the plant. I, th- I think it's just beautiful to have that. You know, you, you're to me, you're just more than a grower. You're the culture. You're part of the culture. You know, you're someone who's been championing this plant uh, since the beginning. You know, before uh, other adults were thinking, "Hey, he's right." <laughs> well. Well, you know, uh, everybody has a story like, uh, you know, there's a small group of people, smaller than, I mean, as a percentage of the population who are, you know, uh, chronic. You know, it's just, it's, it's not a really large percentage of the population. And then there are people who are social smokers or who smoke infrequently or limit how much they use. And I just happened to have, um, when I met cannabis, I realized that this was an ally and that, uh, that, that it was going, I accepted it into my life. So, um, when was that? When? Yeah. Uh, it was, um, like, in around 70, uh, 70, 74. Man, so like um, you're cultivating and you're, you're you know, did I say 74? Yeah. And then 64. 64. 64. Oh, so the Beatles are coming in and you guys, okay, so uh, where were you getting uh, cannabis in 64 and when did you start? And so if you started cultivating around 1970, um, were you ever arrested, man? Not, not early on, no. Oh, wow. Yeah, and, and speaking of your arrested, I mean, you were arrested, but it wasn't until, what, 2011? Uh, 2000, 
17? Well, the big arrest was 2000, uh, 2002. 2002. And you said one day in jail, is that correct? Yeah. The, the case itself is pretty stupid because you were working for the city, which is pretty... Uh, right. You had an agreement with the city, uh, being a caregiver for the city, and then... They, the testified, federal. <laughs> they testified for me, you know, for me, but they... The jury was not allowed to hear the testimony, so the jury never knew that I was a uh, that I was uh, authorized by the city to grow for people. They never knew that, and then they found me guilty. And then when they came out, uh, some people, uh, a person from the uh, uh, from uh, a marijuana organization approach the jury and say, you know, you made a big mistake. You should check it out when you get home and, you know, what it was. And um, uh, by the next, that was on a Thursday or a Friday, and uh, uh, the next court date was Tuesday, and the jury reappeared, nine of the 12 jurors, but this time they were no longer jurors, they were just civilians. But they were in court, and when the judge came in and saw that, his, his face paled. He knew why they were there. They had already announced to the papers that they were duped. Damn. You know, uh, that, that they had been duped, that if they had known the whole all the facts, that they felt dirty. And uh, after that, that day, um, after the court appearance, we all went, we all went to um, uh, eat at a Chili's uh, restaurant that was up the block. And I had to comfort the jurors. Oh shit. Oh man. Because I didn't feel guilty, but they did. <laughs> that's, that's something else. So if your story uh, of your arrest was such fabricated bullshit on the part of the state, uh, do you think that this is a, a, a problem that might be pervasive uh, and, then, and people are still unjustly arrested and in prison for this plan? Well, look, first of all, um, you know, so, uh, in, order to do, in order to arrest a person for marijuana, the cop has to have a perverse pr pleasure in messing with people. Yeah, you know, so in itself, that that gives cops PTSD because they have to defend themselves in their own mind because they know all that they're doing is harming people. Yeah. And, you know, like, you're not going to reform a marijuana. I mean, you may be able to reform a heroin addict, but you're not going to reform a marijuana you know, a marijuana user isn't going to blame the, his or her life and the problems on, on marijuana. Oh, you know, I could have been I could have been a contender, but I got into marijuana. I couldn't do it anymore, right? <laughs> you know, I could have oh. done it. I know, but then I took my first joint, and after that, oh, it all went downhill. Now I'm shooting it. Look, watch. Oh, gosh. No, I got the I'm extra. It, man. Yeah. yeah. Oh, goodness. Oh, and, man. So, uh, and I think that, um, you know, like we have all these problems with police, and uh, there are so many of them. We don't have to go into all of them. I mean, the worst is that they shoot people, more blacks and whites, but whites too. I mean, they have more of a fondness for whites, you know, not shooting whites, but um, um, but I think they should all be given tests for PTSD and yeah. for racism. I mean, like literal tests on it, psycho psychological tests and things, and they might actually do brain scans on it and... Uh, we, and you'd, the problem is you'd have to remove probably 50% of the police force. 
Yeah, I'm starting to believe it's 50% of the population, but um, just just from like 2020, I'm like, man, are we just surrounded by these people, you know? So I was down in Chile, in Santiago, and uh, for uh, they had a big pot gathering and they invited me to it. And so um, uh, we, my wife and I went to um, the uh, uh, Human Rights Museum, which was a museum basically about the Pinochet uh, dictatorship. And um, like the dictatorship had been going on for seven years and he decided to hold a referendum. And he lost the referendum. 52.5% of the people said that they wanted freedom. 47 and a half of the people said it was okay, keep going. I mean, isn't that scary that 47 and a half percent of the people were okay with it? Well, even with our system, whether it's like voting, right? that's like right, Trump, that's a whole thing. Yeah. Like with the Trump. Yeah. 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 There's this percentage of people who, you know, they're okay with it, they're okay with just straight up revoking people's rights. But you know, it's that's strange. Hey, uh, on the podium, and he's going like this. <laughs> you look at pictures of Mussolini. Oh my god, and they uh, look the same. I mean, they they have the same. You know, and yeah. his, uh, Trump's wife, Ivana uh, uh, yeah, Trump. She said that he had only one. She only saw him with one book, and that was Mein Kampf. Oh shit. <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't yeah. like you anymore, Ed. <laughs> the playbook just is uh, not cool. That and it's still working as the thing, you know. And so, as humans, I just don't think we change. And maybe that's one of the reasons why that the cannabis plan has been unfairly criminalized for so long because so many people just don't question. You know, if something's just illegal, they try to avoid it because they aren't trying to get themselves into any trouble. Yeah. Ed, I, I think it's the other way. I think that the reason why, that you know, dictators, I don't think dictators like pot. They'd rather have people using alcohol. Because, Why is that? Because pot, you know, uh, pot makes you think outside the box. It gives you different ideas. It makes you like a little bit more independent and not necessarily following the, you know, the, the crowd. Although everybody wears jeans. So, uh, <laughs> but, uh, yeah. Oh, let's say we have a viewer that has a question, which I didn't, really doesn't make sense to me, but it might to you because they asked it twice. It says, "I would love to know any information Ed knows about Duckfoot." Uh, and it's a, it's an Australian variety. Oh, yeah. Well, that's where I saw it, uh, and I know that uh, one of the people there might be other Duckfoots, but the one that I saw was in Australia, and that was years and years ago. Oh, well, apparently it's running amok in New York, and they're asking about it. <laughs> uh, I'm not familiar with it. With, right with, okay. So as you were growing uh, in the 70s uh, and new strains started coming in, did you ever help create any strains while you were cultivating? Well, I was, I was involved in, uh, with Afghani one and, um, uh, and uh, partly with the Durban poison. Nice. Wow, I really like Durban poison too. <laughs> are, are you yourself though, Ed? Uh, Indica sativa. What's your preference? Mostly, most I like uh, uh, limonene, B. caryophyllin. Mm. Yeah. Okay. Rather than mercy, terpenes. Yeah. Well, yeah, those are the more upbeat terpenes for those yeah. of you following right. at home that might not know. But yeah, I mean, that's that's the stuff. I already have those supplies taken care of. I have my daytime weed. I'm growing my Neo nighttime Little. weed now. Yeah. Neo Little. Neo Little? Neo. N-E-O-L-I-D-A-L. Oh, Neridol. I've heard it called Neridol. Oh, yeah. It is. I really like that. Think that's really um that's one of the things that i enjoy about the terpenes is i don't know how to pronounce any of them and so like i'm trying to like say them because i've just read them and then a lot of people for some reason don't just talk about terpenes in their daily life you know it's weird but uh okay so that's that's cool we now know what types of terps ed likes so 
if I wanted, uh, okay, aside from genetics, because if you know, I'm going to be trying to pick the right genetics that I have would, would have those terps. What types of newts should I be given to my uh, girls if I'm trying to accentuate their terps the best? Well, I think it has more to do with light than with nutrients. Really? Some might disagree with that, uh, but uh, and I think the light, the main light that um, uh, is UV. UV has uh, the more UV light the plants get, the more uh, the higher the terpene levels will be. Mm. So that if you flower plants, um, if they, if let's say that they came in in uh, uh, early September. Uh, they'd still uh, have be, have gotten a lot of light, and they would be stronger than plants that come in in November. Wow! So is that so? You're saying that with the UV light, then with LEDs, you're getting less terpenes. Uh, well, LED lights, um, you know, some of them, some of the LED companies are using um, chips with uh, uh, UV light in them. Oh wow! They emit UV light. So. Yeah. Yeah, you could also you could also up the terpene level uh, uh, using um, using uh, like um, sun lamps. Oh, yeah. makes sense. So it really, is those UV? I had no idea. I thought I was going to go buy like the terpenator or something, but well, uh, you know, I haven't actually done any experiments with any of those, uh, with any of the uh, enhancers, but I hope to do that within the next year or so. Nice. Yeah. I have a couple of friends uh, uh, that are on my Facebook that are growers, and I asked, hey, I'm speaking to Ed today. Any questions? And uh, one question is, uh, what is the best like harvest time, do you think, during October? It depends when it's, the plant is ready. I mean, look for the signs of readiness. Uh, his was uh, about timing with the moon. Uh, is that something that you do? I don't, but uh, you should look to see when the plants are ready. Right on. Yeah. And uh, what's the hallmarks of the plants being ready? Well, uh, there's no, there isn't, usually there isn't new growth. The uh, All of the pistils have turned red or, you know, turned color. The flowers have um, they have uh, uh, sort of closed up and it has a high level of uh, if you look at it, it has a high level of glands of trichomes and those trichomes all should have uh, caps on them that are swollen. Do you look for the ember? Sometimes I know some people look for them to be uh, uh, more of an amber looking. You know, the, you know, there's a lot of discussion about that and what's right, and it goes from I I prefer to take them when it's the, when the glands are just beginning to change color, mm. and then they go from clear to amber. Some people like to take them later on, or even take them when they turn white, and uh, actually. Uh, uh, a friend of mine, Dr. Reggie Giardino, who uh, is with uh, Frontline, he is actually uh, testing, doing tests on uh, flowers during those different periods, which will be my next work. What, what, when That'd that be interesting to see some results for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Do you have a Do you have a lab? Do you have like your own greenhouse and stuff that you can uh, do runs in? Well, I have, as I said, I have a small, I have a small greenhouse in small areas, but I do a lot of stuff and a lot of experiments in miniature, and also other people help with the experiments, and I have free testing. Wow, that's awesome! <laughs> free testing—that's the best. That yeah. helps. Yeah. That's What's the oldest seed you popped? Eight years. Ooh. Kept in a dark place. Oh yeah, that's cool. Hey, when they when did they start growing indoor? 
and what were the first types of lights that they were using? That's always like kind of fascinated me. Well, people still use the same lights, uh, fluorescence. I mean, really? you know, people, there are people who are still using fluorescent lights, right? Like the, the T5s, right. But I, uh, I mean, well, they were using T8s originally. And then uh, uh, we've, then I started using uh, VHOs. And did, I don't know if you were ever to a, a uh, like a gas station and you looked at the lights and they were fluorescent and you said, my, those fluorescents are so bright. How can those fluorescents light this place? Mine don't. And those are VHO fluorescents. And each, each tube uses 215 watts. Now, you know, I don't even know if they're produced anymore because, you know, LEDs, you know, have, are so much more convenient than that. But at the time, they, they were pretty convenient because, um, you know, you could they were eight feet long. So, you know, they, they confirmed to, they can, you could get them four or eight feet long, but, you know, they conform then, you know, to construction, like, Lumber is eight feet long, you know. So, so it was easy yeah. to fabricate your your stuff with them yeah. because it was all standardized. Yeah, yeah. So you, so, um, so those lamps. I mean, uh, I'm not saying that. Like as I said, uh, I don't think that they're even sold anymore. But if they were sold, they would be in. They'd be inefficient. But, but they were powerful enough to produce a crop, a nice. good crop, because you could place them close enough together to get get a very bright light. So that's those were the first lamps that I used. Nice, probably drain your power bill too, huh? Pretty hefty. Well, yeah, you know, it <laughs> wasn't cheap. Uh, did it put off enough heat, or did it put off too much heat? Well. You, uh, you know, it it put off heat, but it was over an eight foot area, so it dissipated. So if you just had, you know, uh, eight of those bulbs, it wasn't too much. Hmm. Well, in your experiments, because you, you you've done a lot of uh, uh, just seeing the combinations of plants and uh, uh, breeding. Do you have you done stuff with medical, like trying to find something? Like I got a, another question that someone asked of. Do you know, what would you recommend with someone with Parkinson's disease? Have you ever dealt with, you know, treating anything? You know, I'm not qualified on that. You know, um, it's gotten beyond anecdotal because uh, there are a number of doctors who are treating patients with cannabis. And uh, so uh, it's somebody else's area. Was that one of your motivations when you were growing? Was it about the medicine or was it just more about the cannabis? It, it, uh, neither of those, actually. It was more like this. I, I had been in the Yippies and I was in the Yippies and uh, um, uh, part of our uh, thing, our idea was to change the uh, hearts and souls of Americans to make us a much less warlike nation. You know, uh, since before, even before uh, this government was formed uh, more than 200 years ago, uh, it's been fighting, uh, it's never had a day when it hasn't had a military action. So my thought was, to that um, uh, I had read the Don Juan books uh, by Carlos Castaneda, and it was about this uh, Hopi Indian sh shaman and uh, his experiences. And one of the experiences is he had had this little smoke and uh, that he talked about. And I think that was cannabis. And, uh, and I had had sort of a similar experience where I felt this was an ally. And I felt that the whole country would be better off if, if, if more people use marijuana instead of alcohol. That, like, you know, 
Aldous Huxley had written Doors of Perception. And the Doors of Perception, he said that psychedelic, that psychedelic drugs, and I'm including marijuana as a light psychedelic, break down the sets and sets, set perceptions. They, they, it makes a brain less, um, uh, perhaps less efficient. So that thoughts that you might have uh, below the conscious level can bubble up. The brain becomes uh, less of a uh, sensor with these sets and set perceptions. So you can have random thought, more random thoughts. So that's why I said I don't think, previously I mentioned to you that I don't think that di dictators like cannabis because it, it gives you a process or helps you in your process of thinking. So, so I thought, well, if more people use cannabis and less people and fewer people use alcohol or they use less of it, this country would be a better place. And so uh, later on, Mark Emery put it into words when he said, um, overgrow the government. Yeah. And, so that, that, uh, that saying is, could be ascribed to Mark Emery. That's, that's cool. why I didn't know that. Yeah. Yeah. So, but, but, um, but, uh, so the idea was, uh, um, there were two ideas. My, I promised my co-author that we would make at least, each make at least, uh, like the equivalent of maybe, uh, $2,500 a month if, um, from this book. I mean, the, the equivalent in do dollars from the seventies. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So uh, if we wrote this book, and we wouldn't have to work. And, uh, it, it, the book was work, you know. Well, <laughs> but yeah. you write it once and you get paid for it yeah. and over, right? So, yeah. but we wouldn't have to work at, you know, at a job. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Yet this, or what, what would you like next, you know? Oh, yeah. 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 And, or, uh, you know, I had been... Uh, um, uh, assistant compliance officer in uh, at a bro uh, stock brokerage firm. Oh wow! And, and uh, like that wasn't really a job I appreciated. And on my way out, one week I came in tripping every day, and I couldn't read anything. <laughs> Nobody noticed that I hadn't produced anything. That's awesome. Oh man, that's like an old uh, anecdote from a Carl Icahn. Uh, tale from the 80s when he bought another company and just fired everybody and never heard from any of them and so like i just wonder how many people are just phoning in their lives going to jobs that they really don't even care about and then the next day it could be gone and nobody would complain and so that's one of the cool things i get about this is because like i was like man i might be able to be a cannabis lawyer i'll never have to work again this is great <laughs> yeah yeah, well, you know what I'm talking about. Right. Well, yeah. You know, eventually, I also became uh, an expert witness. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. That, you know, when there were a lot of cannabis cases. So. Which uh, unfortunate. Yeah. But um, but part of it was to over actually change the way this government functions. Uh, and um, to that extent, I... With Trump, I've been a total failure. But, um, but I think that people, I think that there's a certain, there are more people who are, who are you know, um, enlightened in one way or another from psychedelics, and they, and they've seen like uh, different paths in their lives. So, so that that's satisfying. Well, agreed. I think as a nation, you guys have made a difference. That's why I'm so stoked to talk to you, just because you helped keep that flame going. Well, if everybody would just send one dollar. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's that's good, man. Hey, um, but I've I've really gotten a lot of value out of this one. So how often do you update these books? Well, I do little updates, but in about um a little more than a year from now. There'll be a new edition of it. The total new edition. I mean, you know, don't wait for that new edition. 
you know, uh, you should get that one as well. Yeah, well, newly and and that will be that is um, it's um, I can't talk about it too much, but it, I think people are really going to enjoy that. This this book is has been I think that it's helped people a lot, and um, uh, things that I speculated on turned out to be true. Most almost all of the material in there, so that's good. And uh, I I appreciate that uh, people like the book so much. Because you're writing these books from experience. So, I mean, these things just can't be popped out every six months. You have to grow, con conduct your experiments, watch, and wait, right? I mean, but these are all the fruitions of your like, tries and tribulations, right? Well, no, no. It's um, I basically I go back to science all the time. Like, you know, new, there's always new material coming out in, in uh, different science journals and botanical journals, and uh, as well as now, you know, in some of the uh, cannabis journals. So, um, so you have to use uh, uh, other people's research as well. You can't, it's just too big a field. Yeah. Some of those uh, strains can take a lot longer than just, you know, eight weeks to flower. Uh, what are some of, do you, did you like any of those strains like the hazes and the other ones from way in the past that would, that would flower over, you know, 12 weeks or more? Well, you know, the, those, those plants are, are really good for the Southern tier of the United States. Like if you're living in Arizona, you might like one, one of those plants because They'll continue, like you can't, it's very difficult to grow in some areas where it's too hot in the summer. It gets really hot, and so you can't do big outdoors, but in the fall you can. So if you're using something that has a lot of sativa in it, it's going to continue to grow while it's flowering. So you don't mind those. You just have to use it the right way. Fascinating. So, like the gene, the, like the the top let's hot. Say, well, let's top say I planted a sativa now. What's that? Let's say I planted a sativa now okay. in an area where it stayed warm, right? Mm -hmm. So the sativa it would both flower and grow at the same time, but an indica would just flower out. Hmm. Interesting. So. It really depends where you're growing. Now, look, let's say I tried to go grow an indica, let's say, in L.A. or San Diego or, you know, southern Georgia. In midsummer, it would start flowering. You know, wow. first day of summer, it would still, still flower. Speaking of flowering, like right now, this is going to be Croctober coming up, and then we got the fires going on here on, on the coast. You talked earlier about how uh, you're conducting experiments because this is the second year that it's gotten so bad with the ashes and the outdoor grows. Uh, you, you're talking about how you're trying to conduct experiments on removing ash from the flower? Yeah. Uh, yeah, with uh, uh, Dr. Rob Flaherty and Dr. Don Land. We, we get it. We're um, gathering some ash-laden bud and we're, we're working on it. We're looking at Different methods, like <coughs> how much? How much of the bud in uh, California for this crop? <coughs> how much of the the buds do you think are going to be um, uh, tinged or, or damaged or will have ash on them? Hundred uh, percent. Oh wow! And what type of anything that was harvested before the fires is okay, but. It, but there's not a, I mean, there might be isolated areas in California that didn't experience the smoke. But like there was, when those fires were going on, there was something I had never seen before. The sky was red. If you, when you looked at things, it looked sepia because there was no blue light coming through the smoke, but just red and yellow light. And so it was. It was very eerie, and 
um, as I said, there was ash everywhere. And I was, my space is 100 miles from the fires. So you can imagine how intense that was. So I don't think that there's any uh, outdoor material, even in the Bay Area, you know, which is, as I said, the distance that, um, that hasn't been touched by that. I agree. Are we seeing the, are you seeing any movement in the price of flour? I haven't been tracking that. I mean, uh, I'm not in Cali. I'm, it's expensive as heck here in Illinois. Mm. You know, um, that's, uh, I haven't been to a dispensary in a while. <laughs> <laughs> There's a dot shop. <laughs> yeah, me either. I, I, I went with my friend and I'm like, yeah, have you ever bought weed in Illinois? It's really not that impressive. You're not allowed to touch it. You're not allowed to see it. You're not allowed to smell it. You get it in a, pa a paper bag and then you have to leave and then you can un you know wrap the, the wrapper and then finally see the weed that you've already purchased and can't return. Oh yeah, that's really uh that's really a great method, yeah. Oh yeah. Customer delight, I tell you. Yeah. You know, the one thing here though locally, uh I just made a purchase at this place called the Reef, and then they were saying they told me they're like, Hey, one percent of your purchase goes towards and they gave me three options, and one of them was the last prisoner project, which I was pretty stoked about. Well, here's what uh so um Actually, the last place that I bought weed was in uh, was in Amsterdam, and I put down the equivalent of about hundred twenty dollars. And I looked at the bag, and I started laughing. <laughs> <laughs> really? Now, was that like you were laughing in the sense that you were impressed, or you were laughing in the sense that you felt like, "Are you kidding?" Yeah. <laughs> The, the latter. Uh -huh. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, uh, 50 and $60 an eighth, you know, and I mean, Ooh. all the taxes, $40 an eighth. Yeah. <laughs> and then there's not even, the, the terpenes already you know, off it. So, like, your home grow will be fresher than the cannabis that you can get. I mean, then there's like three producers in our state that when you taste their stuff, you're like, oh, that's actually pretty good. But, you know, you're still their their eighths are like seventy five to eighty bucks. Yeah, well, it's medicine. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, so what, what types of uh, work are you doing with the, the last prisoner projects these days? I uh, well uh, through my uh, website and uh, also uh, Instagram and things like that. We we republish a lot of stuff and. Um, I've uh, done some uh, 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 videos, not videos, but audios for them. And, you know, I'm available to them all the time, anytime they want. Yeah, yeah. I mean, here, it's local. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, California is the largest state population-wise, so I have to assume that of the 40,000 uh, cannabis prisoners that are there, a sizable number have to be in California, right? Very few. Very few? Yeah, because um, you know it's been, it's been legal for a few years, right? Mm -hmm. so, um, and the sentences in California weren't long sentences, so most people have been turned down. I don't think that they, and you know, you'd be hard pressed to actually go to prison for something in California for marijuana now. Just the federal cases, like there's Luke Scarmazzo still serving. Um, yeah, yeah, but that is that. Yeah, yeah, I'm not. I'm not excusing that, but I'm oh, saying no. yeah. that isn't a California issue, though. So there, there are very few Californians in California prisons. Oh, maybe if you're selling to kids or something, you know, something like that. But but I think that most stuff would be resolved with fines. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That's, right. that's how I'd prefer it. You know, it just makes well, a lot more sense plants or something and you know um some cities say you're not allowed to grow you know it's it's uh, california is fractionalized it's one of the reasons i oppose the bill is because 
in one county, you can grow in one county, but you can't in the next. You and it's a crime, right? What? And is it still a crime? So like if you're growing in one county, that could be illegal, but then you're, you're growing in a different county in California and that's fine. That's right. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's not legalization, you know? Uh, no, no, it, it's, you know, but, um, but, you know, Cal, but, you know, you have to be one of those psycho, you have to be a psycho cop to want to go after and uh, prosecute people for growing. Yeah, it's like, it gets like, uh, some people just hate this plant and I don't understand why. Like, and the people that hate the plant are usually people that know nothing about it, uh, never use it. And then sometimes they're paid to ensure that it stays illegal. And so, I mean, I kind of understand it from that perspective. It's like, well, yeah, it's going to be hard for you to support legalization. It might cost you your job. Uh, you know, that, that old Upson Sinclair, uh, you know, thing yeah. that he said about it. Man. Well, um, uh, Lester Gr Grinspoon, who wrote this very uh, influential book called uh, Marijuana Reconsidered, right. he, he was the reason he, for the title of the book, he was writing, he was starting to write this book about what, how bad marijuana was. And as he researched the book, he changed his opinion. And then his kid who eventually died from leukemia, you know, got good results from, you You know, for the symptoms of the treatments uh, using cannabis. So he said that people, uh, ma marijuana does cause hysteria, just like people say, in those opposed to its use. Hey, that's yeah. true. Yeah, and it's and it's been like that as long as any of us have been alive, you know, which is just silly. And then you see, it's like, all right, did we not learn from Mussolini? Did we not learn? From, did we not learn that arresting people for this plant is wrong? And like, you know, keeping and the only research that you can do for some reasons, the research to find the harm about it, you know. So all the research is getting done in Israel and not in America. It's aren't well, we better than this? What, what the heck, you know? That's why uh, my son, uh, my son doesn't use marijuana. And uh, I asked him why he says, just look at you and your friends. So I, I mean, what, you're, you're living and you're functioning and you're fine. <laughs> yes, that's, that's outrageous. And I got one more question for you. This one seems kind of interesting. I think uh, uh, one of my friends asked if uh you ever tried this theory of, that you put out one time of flaring weed with pseudo roots made from silk thread, such as dipping it in Kool-Aid flavor? Like oh, a osmosis thing? What, no, what I, I was, um, I did this experiment to see what, um, whether you could color or flavor a plant through different organic things like beet juice, mm and all kinds of different things. And I also did, I used Kool-Aid. And the, the only plants that changed color were the ones that I put Kool-Aid in because the dye in the, the Kool-Aid is so small that it went up with the water. And wow. the plants couldn't filter it out, but they could filter out, you know, the, it didn't get through the root openings you know, the other things didn't get through the root openings, but the Kool-Aid died did. Wow. So is that how uh, Granddaddy Purple turns purple? They just <laughs> water it purple Kool-Aid or, or what? No, what what happens is that there's a, uh, there's a chemical change when the, that when the uh, plants are exposed to cold weather. And, uh, and that's what, I mean, I, I could go through the whole. The, the, what do I need to turn my grow room down to then? Uh, during the is it late stage of flowering? Like uh, how cold does it have to get? First of all, you have to determine whether that your plants are going to be affected by that. Not all plants are. Some turn purple. You know, some are naturally purple. Wow. Yeah, that's interesting. You know, you, you can get. A, I have. A, 
I have a bud that a friend gave me. It's a CBD, but but, but that's that doesn't really matter. But it's it it's a purplish black or blackish purple. I mean, it's so dark, and that was done in hot weather. That was just a plant that uh, you know that was its natural color, and um, so there are purple plants. I know everybody wants purple. So. But look, the purple, <laughs> being purple doesn't really have an effect on the flavor or taste. Yeah. Cool. Now this has been a great session. Yeah, you know, it's been really, really effective. I'm just like, all right, what, what's any other growing question that I want to ask? You know, uh, what well, you got the, the guru right here. I know, right? I know. I just, I, I'm only on my second run. I don't know anything. Um, <laughs> so, you know, you know, we should do a. Uh, uh, question and answer from uh, you know your uh, listeners uh, just a cultivation question and answer yeah if anybody wants sure. to throw it out there yeah we have about 45 people watching so you know uh, anybody have a question for Ed yeah, I'm pretty sure that they, they must all be because uh, they were asking questions earlier mm -hmm. so. <clears throat> let's see if I can find some there's a lot of people asking questions. There was, but not <laughs> so how's your lawyering going? Oh, it's going well. Like you know, and so I've used this to market as well, uh, and so I, I have all these SEO web pages, so people find me on uh, the internet, and then they call, and then I, I give them a quote, and they they sign up. It's going great. Yeah. So we got one most common myth. Oops, wrong one. Yeah. What are most some of the common most common myths about growing that uh, you hear? That it's not addictive. That growing is not addictive. Yeah. <laughs> like tattoos? What about, uh, what do you think about all these new hybrid strains out there? Well, actually, I was uh, talking with this friend of mine who owns a seed company about um, that what I was looking for was the strength, some one of these strains from a number of years ago, maybe 30 years ago, that you'd open the bag and the whole room would smell up. And then you'd close the bag and the room would still smell. And you'd open the windows and the room would still smell. And it would take a while for it to clean up. Miguel, I see that you uh, experienced that at some point in your life. <laughs> Smoking it? <laughs> oh, I mean, just opening the bag. And oh, God, I love that experience of just uh, but, well, the bag lets you know. But do you did you ever have a bag that you open it up and the whole room smells? Oh, yeah. You know? Yes. You don't get that much anymore. I'm looking for those. What about the one, the bud that you throw the bud against the wall and it would stick? I, hmm, I never tried that. Yeah. All right. Uh, in hydro hydroponics, do you prefer a sterile res or one with beneficial bacteria? Well, it's very hard to keep beneficial bacteria in uh, going in a uh, in a depending on the, the hydroponic system, but it's very hard to keep them going in the water. They need a lot of oxygen, tremendous amounts of oxygen to keep them going. But I, uh, it, it's very difficult to have a completely sterile hydro system uh, uh, because uh, organisms are going to uh, they are going to colonize the, the uh, space Eight. Ed thank you so much for coming on uh, we're going to throw all your links for uh, social media in so everybody can go and purchase your book but before we go, we were talking like uh, growing is intimidating. Do you have any last words for novice growers or people who are just gonna who are just getting into growing? Uh, my one piece of advice would be: don't be too ambitious. Just uh, don't make it so uh, so big or so complex that you wind up where uh, it's much harder to uh, be successful. Keep it simple. 
Word. All right. Thanks again for coming on and thanks for tuning in, everyone. Make sure you like and subscribe to keep up with all cannabis legalization news. We'll see you on Wednesday. Thanks, Ed. Thanks, Ed.